Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Storylines, a podcast from women in film and television Alberta. Storylines highlight some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter is herself a filmmaker, and she has some very deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. A recent episode you might find interesting is Tasha Hubbard telling Indigenous stories, in which we hear from an award-winning Cree filmmaker as she speaks about how she got into documentary film. You can find Storylines on Apple Podcasts, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at wifta.ca. That's W-I-F-T-A.ca. What day of the pandemic are we on now? Eight million? Uh, it's certainly feeling like that. Right? More and more of uh, Alberta is opening up as we speak. Slowly. It, probably too quickly, though. Yeah. Because... The province started reopening in, like, May, during the May long weekend. Yeah, end of May, early June, depending on what yeah. the, what specific so, opening you're talking about. So about 14 or so days ago. And wouldn't you know it, but in the last few days, there's been a huge spike in Go infections figure. in Edmonton. Because people were like, oh, the province is reopening. Guess the danger's passed. Shocked, I tell you. Yeah. Shocked. There's been a dismaying number of people not wearing masks or social distancing. Yeah, It makes so. me nervous. It's why whenever we go out in public, I have a mask. Oh, ditto. Like, yeah. I don't wear it in the car because it's... I don't like driving with one on and I'm encased in my car. Yeah. But going out to a store where there is the public, I wear my mask. Yeah. We, I'm, we try to get our toddler to wear a mask it's, uh, it's a bit so of a struggle. hard to get a three-year-old to wear a mask indeed it lasts like 15 seconds as soon as the novelty wears off and he realizes it's somewhat uncomfortable the so, best i got him to do was cover his mouth with it while he was holding it with his hands but it is a good time to remind you our our dear listeners uh, assuming that you're listening to this episode during the pandemic uh, as we are recording it not much later when hopefully Everything is is fine and rosy and hunky-dory again, assuming that we ever reach that state again. I hope so. Just a reminder, you know... Be safe. Be safe. Be smart. Treat yourself well. Be safe. Try to remember... Be nice to others. To, well, and to keep a distance and to wear a mask out in public. It really does help. It really does. And every little bit does help. And you don't want to get sick and you don't want your loved ones to get sick, right? So, And that's certainly where we're at. Mm-hmm. And that's why we are careful and why we have spent little time with family outside of FaceTimes for months and months. So It's yeah. true. And one family that does spend a little bit of time apart is the family of one Beth Leeson, as she, in Chapter 14, drops off her husband Dom and goes off gallivanting to meet up with the suspiciously named Lou Monday at a little cafe to have a little chat about the Cater family. Another smooth Scott segue. Yeah. TM. Uh, after spying on Thomas Cater a little bit and seeing some very suspicious business involving both Thomas and, apparently, the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. That's not the housekeeper. She's the nanny. Well, we, we're not entirely certain exactly what her job is. That's true. 
sort of assumed the nanny. She could be the muscle for all we know. It's, it's very true. Anyway, but, Beth was paying attention to some very fine details, which, I don't know, is that in character for Beth or not? I can't it, tell. It is. She laser focuses in on the stuff she wants to laser focus in on. But not everything, right? She never bothered to check any license plates. Didn't think about it. But she knows the wear of of Impossible Thomas's shoes. Well, he's famously wearing shoes that are so old they're falling apart. And that tips her off that they're the same shoes from 12 years ago. Well, no, because she remembered, like, the make, the style. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, those are the same shoes. He's still wearing the same shoes. They are crazy worn-out shoes. Yeah, because they're 12-year-old shoes. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. The point is, she eventually gets into a car with Lou Monday and a ways to have tea. tea <laughs> and a little discussion about the caters in which Lou Monday confirms Beth's suspicions that something odd is going on in that yes. household. But we don't know what it is. Nope. And Lou Monday doesn't know what it is. Nope. And all we know is that it's crazy weird, and Lou believes whatever it is that we don't know. Correct. Great. Yeah. It's not confusing at all. No. No. And uh, now that we've uh, spent a great deal of time recapping what we already discussed in the previous episode. Well, we already don't know. <laughs> we will segue into Chapter 15 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. Uh, why, did, why did we start analyzing the last chapter? Oh, here? this book. We begin this chapter with Beth actually doing her job. I know. Proof that she has a job and that she does it. Indeed. And, the, and it's real. She's giving one Pam Swain a massage. And Pam is, of course, the woman who she was texting with in the last chapter. Yes, about not canceling her appointment again. Because she's already done it apparently twice. Yep. And, spoiler alert, we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, however, is a regular. She enjoys Beth's brand of chatty, therapeutic, but not necessarily like relaxing massage. Uh, and she's also enjoying the new color in Beth's massage parlour. Her treatment room. Yes. This is not a massage parlour. How dare you? <laughs> uh, Beth apparently decided to do something, quote, radical by actually putting color on the walls in this room and painting the studio aubergine. <laughs> the kids apparently had both painted their rooms, and despite Beth having a plain white walls sort of attitude about her house, she decided that maybe it was time to add a little splash of color in there and and do something different. Go wild. Aubergine. With aubergine. Without getting too derailed about the color of Xana and Ben's rooms, I will just do a quick side note that what I'm picturing for the old picture that Ben has up in his room that had been waiting there. With the teddy bears. What it is described as reads real creepy. <laughs> like that is a real creepy sounding drawing that he's kept up in his room. And I'm wondering if the reason he's kept it is because it's creepy and he's a teenager. Because <laughs> it's meant to be like cute and, you know, Yeah, but the way it's described, there's like, it's a drawing of teddy bears on like an iron fence and they're they're staring at you and grinning and it's just like, oh, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I just pictured something kind of cute and childish. I, I think it was meant to be cute. It's just the way it was described <laughs> made it, in my mind, it, it came across kind of nightmarish. <laughs> yeah, you would think that. Anyway, um, apparently Beth and Pam have a pretty rote conversation that kind of unfolds every time Pam is in to get her, her massage. Okay, this is the weird paradox of this conversation for me. Mm -hmm. This conversation is about change 
and growth, right? And Thing, moving on. A, th a theme that's been running through right. our, our but novel. But the actual conversation itself is repetitive and comfortable because they've had the same conversation over and over and over again. Yeah, you caught that too. Right? It's, Isn't that just a beautiful little uh, bit of writing? Right. It's it's almost like an oxymoron, but not quite. It's It's a really smart piece of writing by Sophie Hanna that they're talking about how good change is in a conversation they've had a thousand times. Yeah. Also, seeing as how Beth is kind of hung up in many ways about how uncomfortable she is with change like she even in in this opening is like patting herself on the back about how crazy she went in actually putting some color up on her walls the fact that she's so hung up on how difficult change is for her and the fact that she's the one who's trying to coax pam into making this big leap and be like oh it'd be good for you you need the change of scenery it's it you need to get out of that old house and beth herself is kind of more of a stick in the mud than that kind i thought of, that yeah. was kind of interesting too Oh, no, that, that really stood out to me. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Pam, as we kind of alluded to, Pam is hung up over the fact that she has been living in the same house since forever. Mm -hmm. And she kind of wants to move. And she's trying to talk herself into moving because her husband has since passed. The kids have moved out of yeah, the house. Yeah, she doesn't need to stay there anymore. It's too big for her. Right. And, but she just can't quite push herself out the door. And she's kind of talking to Beth in the hopes that Beth might maybe give her the push. But Beth is trying to keep things professional and is like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not that kind of therapist, I should specify. <laughs> She's a physical therapist. Yeah. And it's hard to give someone a push when you've had the same conversation over and over again. Yeah. Uh, now, from Beth's point of view, it seems that she has actually spent the past few days impressing both Dom and herself by actually keeping the cater issue under control. She's been doing stuff around the house she's been keeping herself a little distracted she's been doing work and yes, and real, not real honest to goodness grown-up work indeed and not snooping or spying or stalking which is like good on you beth you did the thing well here's the thing her brain is still functioning oh, like this 100%. is running in the background right and she keeps trying to tamp it down and now this conversation with pam Pours fuel on the embers and lights it ablaze again. Yeah, kind of inadvertently. Now, the reason why she's not letting things run her life at the moment is because she had promised Dom she'd give the police time to look into this. Yes. And while it has been a few days, Dom is insisting, let's give basically, let's give him a week. If we haven't heard anything by Thursday, we'll give him a call and check up. While Beth is uncomfortable with that, at the same time, she's like, yeah, okay, that's fair. It, it might take a couple days, especially if he's dealing with another agency but on the other side she's like he's not going to do anything this is going to go nowhere well and we've spent the whole book up to this point learning that beth is very impatient with getting answers yes incredibly yeah uh, all this, the more reason why she's very proud of herself right now waiting an entire week must be just torture for her well and she even thinks to herself how she's been fighting the urge to do something extreme and i'm not entirely certain what that extreme reaction might be here but my gut feeling is that it has something to do with her initial knee-jerk reaction to seeing the impossible Thomas at the school. Yeah. Where she was like, I just want to grab him and, and take him away from that place. I think she just wants to storm Witty Lane. Kinda. That's what, that's what I think she wants to do. She just wants to storm the castle. Yeah. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Run in there and, like, start catching people off guard and start shouting questions and saving children. Now, Pam at this juncture notices Beth has drifted away and does ask, hey, what's up, yo? 
And Beth does want to talk about it, but also doesn't want to give details. So she ends up being just super vague about it and essentially boils it down to, I need to figure out, do I leave this to the police and wash my hands of this at this juncture? Or do I go all in on an investigation? Do, do I engage in some vigilanteism? Essentially. Take matters into my own hands. Now, Pam, a podcast listener, and therefore a good person, <laughs> mentions that she has recently learned some advice from one of the many podcasts that she listens to. And basically, this advice is envision if you could pursue two options at the same time and how that would work out. And Beth is like, oh, like the 1998 Gwyneth Paltrow and John Hanna romantic dramedy Sliding Doors. <laughs> Which has a similar pre premise. We see two parallel timelines play out based on whether Gwyneth catches a train or not. Okay. Pam has not seen it. Uh, and Neither has Nita. Apparently. Ultimately, Pam is like, okay, Beth, imagine if you could take option A and what it would look like if it worked out as good as it possibly could. Then envision option B and imagine what it would look like if it worked out as good as it possibly could, and then try to figure out which one is, is, is the better outcome that you would like to strive for. And Beth does, but honestly sees both endpoints as having some serious flaws, because her thinking is, if I investigate this myself, even if I find something, could I act on it? Would anyone believe me if I told them that something crazy was going on? Uh, would I get in trouble for trying to act on it? Alternately, if I leave it to PC Paul Pollard, it could end up with two children in the foster system and their parents in jail if he does find something. And that's when it kind of hits Beth for the first time that those parents are Lewis and Flora Braid. Yes. They, they can't, those children can't belong to Kevin Cater. Essentially, no. Because while she, up to this point, has been very hung up on the fact they're clearly Flora's kids, now that she's actually had a good look at Thomas Cater. Yeah. From outside the school, mm -hmm. she's like, no, it's not just an uncanny resemblance. It's not just like these two are brothers. It's it, They're near identical. And there's no way that that boy that I saw doesn't also have Lewis's features in there. That has to be Lewis's kid. It can't be Flora mixed with someone else. They can't be half brothers. Yeah. They have to be actual brothers. Or, or somehow the same kid. Or somehow the same kid because impossible thomas she's saying she's thinking to herself right now is identical to og thomas yeah and this opens up just a whole can of worms this is the point where as you say pam has thrown yeah gasoline on the fire okay so pam gives beth this actually very good advice if you ask me and Beth starts imagining the scenarios as i was reading through it the question i had was okay what are the odds that she's actually even going to consider the police option and then she gets interrupted and doesn't get to consider the police option. <laughs> well, I mean, she did briefly consider it. Uh, it's briefly, just, but she didn't think she, it out nearly as much as she did on the other side. No. And to be fair, she also, I mean, she interrupts herself because she gets totally sidetracked dropping down the Lewis and Flora Braid rabbit hole. Yep. Beth is more confused than ever at that thought because as it sinks in that Lewis Braid must be the father of the children more than just... Flora must be the mother of the children. She's like, this adds up even less than it did before. Because if Lewis is the dad, why is he sending his kid to school looking ratty, wearing old clothes? Yeah, Lewis would never. Lewis would never do that. Why would he have them living with another man on Whittier Lane rather than with him in Florida, living the high life? Like, nothing 
nothing about this adds up. So if anything, it's a weird step back in her investigation because this new piece of information has left her even more confused than before. Me too. And that is where not only her train of thought is interrupted, but her massage session gets interrupted. Dom comes knocking on the door, and he never does that. Well, apparently he does, but always with good reason and with apologies. Oh, yeah. But this time he just kind of bursts in and he's like, we need to talk right now. (laughs) This is important. Yeah, and Pam being the great customer that she is, is just like, oh, no, it's fine. Go. Something's up. If it's clearly some kind of family emergency or Dom wouldn't burst into the room. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, Dom leads with, we have to talk urgently. It's about Xana. And Beth is immediately like, oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God, my child is dead. But Dom assures her as soon as they're in the hallway uh, in private, no, Xana's physically fine. What has happened is that she has called from school and demanded Beth come to see her ASAP. She apparently sounded kind of upset, but like more angry upset than like sad upset. And Beth's initial reaction here, after being assured that Xana hasn't hurt herself, is, oh God, Murad has dumped her. Yeah, her world is crumbling around her. Yeah, and just before her all-important tests. She's also a little off-put that Dom doesn't have more intel on this. She's like, what's up? And Dom's like, do you think I didn't ask Xana for details? She refused to tell me anything. She's insisting... She will only talk to you. And even more strangely than that, she wants you to come to the school, then text Murad's phone and ask her to come out to you. She doesn't want you to go into the school. She doesn't want you to text her phone directly. And she wants you there by 11 o'clock. And Beth is like... These are weird instructions. These are very strange instructions. But at the very least, there's the indication that maybe that means there wasn't a breakup, because why would she be texting Murad's phone if there was a breakup? Unless there's something really weird going on. Hard to say. And Beth is like, but uh, like 11 o'clock and Pam and Tom replies, look, I offered to go. But Xana is doing that thing that our toddler does on occasion, which is only mommy. Yes. <laughs> only mommy will do. Except our toddler does it in reverse. Only daddy. Well, lately. But there was there was an only mommy phase, too. Yes. And right now it's a very much only daddy phase. It's true. But Xana is insisting that only Beth can go. So I pondered over this for a little bit. So obviously, it has something to do with the braids. Yes. I mean, Beth... Like, obviously. Beth kind of briefly tangents herself into like, oh, God, Xana's discovered she's pregnant. And this is... We all know that's This is the thing. This is what I'm going to be told. And that's why she only wants to talk to her mom. And that gets put in her ear because Pam jokes about it. Yeah. And Beth just, like, turns white. (laughs) But uh, I agree with you. I think you're right. No, it's... Well, we are outside the story reading a novel, so obviously this is what it's about. It's urgent enough that she wanted to interrupt her mother Mm -hmm. in a massage, but not urgent enough that she was willing to tell her dad. It's not that kind of emergency. Well, I have a train of thought on why she didn't want to tell Dom, which is because she knows that Dom would disapprove. Yeah. Of the fact that Xana has not been at school revising her all-important exams, which she's supposed to be doing but has probably been spending days not doing her exams and focusing on the investigation. Yeah. And has probably roped in Murad on it as well. Quite possibly. And which that's is why, because she likes puzzles. Why, which is why I think that's what it is, because yeah. why wouldn't she tell Dom otherwise? And she's discovered something, and she knows Beth will want to know it now, so she's asking Beth to come and meet with her. Yeah. So, okay, so the list of instructions, don't come into the school, mm-hmm. message Murad's phone, mm-hmm. not Zana's phone. Mm-hmm. Be there before 11 o'clock. So Zan wants her to witness something. There's something she wants her mom to see. Quite probably. 
right? Because she needs she needs her there by a specific time, and she needs her to be not in the school. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I think it is. I think Xana wants Beth there to see something, to witness something. That's possible. There's definitely something up with the timing of it. Yeah, because, I have no idea what it is. Because yeah, why why do you need to be there promptly before X if something is not going to happen at X? Right. But this isn't the first time we've been handed something quote-unquote dramatic in this book and have it turn out to be nothing. Yes, but um, we're also over halfway through this book Yes, at this juncture. And so this is a good time for another shoe to drop and for the rug to be pulled out from underneath us. So my thinking is that, like, last chapter you had you had said that there might be a twist on the way. Yes, warning, twist ahead. Well, that we're, we're being set up for a twist by Lou Monday's... Mm-hmm comment at the end like clearly what's going on is weirder than i could imagine so maybe xana has hit upon that weird thing maybe and wants beth to see and or hear about it now maybe that's my thinking i think we're both of like mind there yeah well we'll see if we're right so there's one little thing i kind of want to talk through with you okay earlier in the chapter there's the whole discussion about xana's room and ben's room and the wallpaper and Hosanna hated it and it was a big mistake, but she was forcing herself to live with it and like spray paints on it and stuff. Yep. So that whole that whole bit about there, uh, there's this ongoing motif about um, learning from your mistakes and having to live with them. Because, and the reason I want to talk through it is because she devoted a sizable chunk of the chapter to talking about her children's rooms. Mm-hmm. And I want to know how normally something like that relates to our main character somehow. That's fair. And I don't see how it relates to our main character. I don't see how this whole learning from your mistakes and having to live with them currently relates to Beth. She hasn't made... Well, that's not true. She has She has made a big mistake. I'm, I was thinking she hasn't made any big mistakes in her investigation. She has made that big mistake in her life, the whole Georgina thing that she... Photo that she regrets. Yeah. And she regrets it enough that she's not willing to let it go. So uh, this is a woman who, in fact, does not want to live with her mistakes. Because we've we've established that it's partly the guilt of that that has been driving her in this investigation. That's true. While also it being a little bit of unease about her having lost her friend and her friend's life seemingly having moved on and in a weird way without her. See, but there seems to be a disconnect to me between being jealous that Flora has moved on and had a life without her mm-hmm. and living with the mistake of... Living with the mistake of the photograph. Because those those things, while related, it's an indirect relation, not... What's the word I'm looking for? Correlation, not causation, is what I'm thinking of. Beth's motivation for cutting up the photo, as we previously kind of discussed, from at least from where I'm sitting, was partly motivated by the fact that she was upset that Flora had had a baby and not told her. Right. Because, again... It was Flora moving on mm-hmm. and Beth being left behind and how she was jealous of that. And we've we've established that that's been kind of a through line for her in yep. this novel. Yes, we have. But there's also some guilt. She does feel guilty about having done it. She feels an instinctual deep gut punch guilt when she finds out Georgina died because she can't help but feel it's related to the photo. She feels guilty about having broken up with Flora. And that's part of the reason why Flora's moved on without her and why she now thinks she's now convinced herself Flora's in trouble. Oh, it's just clicked. It just clicked. I'm okay. I got it. I get it now. This is her trying to make amends. Yeah. This whole thing she needs to unravel because she needs to fix this. 
because she can't live with the mistake. There's the connection I was missing. Thank you. And so, yeah, it does link back to Xana's green and gold... Checkered wallpaper. Checkered wallpaper. And how Xana's just... How Xana's the better version of Beth, basically, mm-hmm. who's just like, no, I made a mistake and I have to live with it. But I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we want our kids to be better versions of ourselves, right? We're trying. We're certainly trying. <laughs> we're, we're certainly trying. At any rate, uh, maybe we'll find out a little bit more about if Xana's a better version of Beth and perhaps a better investigator than Beth as we move into chapter 16 of our novel, which you will want to read up on in time for next week. Yes. As usual. While you're catching up on that chapter, uh, you might also be interested in the news. There's a lot of it going on. And, um, well, I know for a fact that many of you who are listening to our podcast right now are not situated in Edmonton with us. Uh, if you are, or even if you're just interested in what's going on in our city, in the city where we record this, there is at least one hyperlocal site that does keep track of the news that is a supporter of this podcast and the Alberta Podcast Network. And I have a thing to read about it. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city, cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes weekly roundups on a variety of topics, including media, food, tech, health, arts, music, news, and city council. Taproot's curators gather up the headlines and happenings on these files and deliver them to your inbox. You can get one or two for free. If you want more, become a Taproot member. Then you can get as many as you want, plus other perks, for just $10 a month or $100 a year. Which, if you're doing math, is cheaper. Get informed at taprootedmonton.ca. Taproot Edmonton, just another one of the many supporters of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can check out all of the member podcasts, not just us, right now. So many member podcasts. Yeah, they're all hosted at albertapodcastnetwork.com, which is a great place to just get a bit of a sample of any one of the many podcasts on the network, and there's guaranteed going to be something else there that you're going to love. Absolutely. Yeah. You can download all of those podcasts as well, including our own at your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, maybe give us a rating and a review. We'd like that. We'd, We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, If you want to drop us a line and just say, hey, really, whenever, at any time, Mm -hmm. we're on social media. We sure are. The standard selection, we have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read-along on most of those. Pretty easy to find. Yeah, we're also available for lengthier conversations via email. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And as always, with that said, we'll see you next time. For teenage emergencies. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. For those of you just joining us, we're discussing the possibility of us spending a great deal of money <laughs> on uh, an expansion for the board game Terraforming Mars, which is 
right behind me as we record in our basement uh, because Kickstarter launched for it, and I I want to go to there. And Anita is like, but the money. But the money's Scott if, has a occasional Kickstarter problem. No, I have an occasional <laughs> board game problem. There's a difference. Well, and they frequently happen through Kickstarter, is what I'm saying. Oh, sometimes. You'll be like, hey, I was surfing Kickstarter for no reason but to spend money, and I found something to Look, spend my money on. when you've Kickstarted enough stuff, Kickstarter just starts sending you suggestions for things you might like to Kickstart, and that is what occurred here. I did not in, I did not randomly seek it out. I was specifically and pointedly advertised to by an algorithm that knew... This guy likes board games, and he has previously purchased Terraforming Mars stuff. I wish, I wish this look had a sound. <laughs> it doesn't. So I'm just going to have to tell everybody that I am giving you the look. 